I guess we should start talking about my least favorite of the prequel movies and my sixth worst Star Wars movie. So, um, without further ado... This is really your least favorite of the prequels? Yes. I like okay. Phantom Menace more. Okay. I really do. Um, mainly just because of the mall fight. Um, yeah. And this one, I just <laughs> I just cannot stand. This one makes me cringe the most out of all the prequels, so... yeah. Yeah, that's it's hard to get it's hard to get over that. The dialogue yeah. in this one's especially <laughs> tough. <laughs> yes, yes it is. So this is my least favorite of the prequels. I feel like it's the hardest one for me to get through personally. I almost but, I almost want to give George Lucas a bit of credit and try and say like maybe he was trying to go for like something Shakespearean with the dialogue, but that might just be too much credit. Hmm. Well You know what I mean? Like I, I rewatching it again, there's like it's not that he was just writing words on page because there's a lot of subtext in there. There's a lot of intent. There's a lot of things that he wants to set up. So I think it was just a stylistic thing where he was just trying to get characters to talk a certain way. I don't know. Mm -hmm. No, no, I applaud the movie on its ability to um, set up stuff in terms of like with its use of dialogue and in certain scenes. And um, it really is hard to make a movie about two armies being built and two secret armies trying to be secret from each other until they're not. So yeah, I, I definitely applaud it on, on that front. Um, and I groan and roll my eyes at about 95% of everything else. So it's always an interesting, interesting experiencing uh, revisiting Attack of the Clones especially now because I feel like the precedent this movie set in terms of how armies work in Star Wars totally fucked over the sequel trilogy. Mm. Expand you know what I mean? What, what do you mean by that? Okay, so what happened in the sequel trilogy is we all of a sudden just have two new factions completely from the ground up. Um, that being the First Order and then the Resistance, which is an extension of the Republic. Mm -hmm. um, well, it's not necessarily from the ground up, right? It's kind of from like like the ashes of the empire, sort of the remnants of the existing empire, remaining empire, and the, the rebels yes, but somehow, resistance. but somehow that that remnant has a super weapon that's more powerful than any other super weapon the universe has ever seen, despite mm -hmm. not being the dominant faction within the universe anymore, because the republic's mm -hmm. around and the republic just let them do this, and it's like. The amount of resources and the time and the amount of planning needed for both of these armies in, the, in Attack of the Clones to be set up, where an entire movie was dedicated to just the armies being built, yeah, really fucked over whatever the sequels were trying to do because they just kind of like said, okay, now they're here. Yeah. Right? And bo with both um, Starkiller Base and in Rise of Skywalker with whatever Sidious had going on in his little funky disco Sith planet. I don't know. So it's like my expectation as a Star Wars person is like, yeah, a lot of time needs to be dedicated into how these armies are built and how For they're... Sure. You know what I mean? That's part of the creative genius of George Lucas and like what he was doing with the prequels was like all set up and, and like on almost like a realistic level, like if, if this kind of like political uprising occurred 
this is how you know things would kind of look like there would be like assassination attempts and coups and 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 uh like what what the separatists are about which is like leaving the union and and these are all things that enforce a good story and like which is why like the sequels are like are just not strong films for me is because like you said star wars it, it like inherently takes the time to set these things up this movie is like dedicated to to giving that side of it of, of both the armies and and um yeah i could that's definitely a huge like pro like a positive point of this is like and and just george lucas in general is like really committing to like giving us a history lesson almost on on the war itself you know exactly i know it, it's it's weird that i like kind of shit talked it but i didn't this is actually like my favorite part about this movie is um how you're given each side of the story in terms of the faction's ability to create an army and, and what that means and what the stakes are. And um, it really did set up the stakes for the, the rest. Of the, it did what it did what the middle movie in a trilogy is supposed to do. And it really did yeah. set up the stakes, both character wise and then conflict. So, right. So this was the spawning of the clone wars, which then was um, resolved in the third movie. And then this was the onset of, you know, despite how awkward and clumsy it is, Anakin's downfall, the romance, Obi-Wan's failure as a teacher, Yoda's yeah, This is really inability. the beginning of, like, of where everything kind of kicks off in terms of where, where shit starts to hit the fan and starts to kind of go downhill for the characters. This right. movie is, like, it lays the groundwork for everything that we know to come, pretty much. Right. It does everything you need a middle movie to do. It's, like, first movie's there to establish who the characters are yeah and and give them a a small conflict to sort of um show off a defining character moment and then the middle trilogy is supposed to set up the the larger stakes of the overall story meaning um in this case it'd be the, like the clone wars again and then there's a bunch of smaller uh character stories that um and, and character plot threads that eventually all converge in Revenge of the Sith, so yeah, um, I can't praise the movie enough about that. But um, you know, I think I'm about to spend a good long while shitting on this movie as well. Yeah, so there's I'm enough to shit talk. Yeah. <laughs> there's enough. Honestly, there's enough for both. Like, there's here's one thing that I really appreciate. Um, or not, I don't want to say appreciate. Like, it's amazing. Like, here's something I really liked about it. Um, the way the movie opens with this kind of investigation. Like, we got to find who's trying to assassinate Princess Amidala. I really like that. I like how uh, we're, we're in on the action from the beginning. Um, it, it, like, harkens back to, like, A New Hope and, like, the beginning of that. Like, it, you know, the the inciting incident is, like, the first thing we see kind of thing um, on screen. Like, it's Princess Amidala in this film is, like, landing her ship and somebody tries to kill her, failed the assassination attempt, and... Uh, kills her uh, her body double and so now we're thrown into like the Jedi trying to investigate this or and we see how do the Jedi investigate how are how do they work as like the police of the galaxy right um, and so immediately when the first sus suspicious guy's name is thrown out there we get good old Kiati Mundi my favorite Jedi of them all who, who goes to defend Count Dooku and says Oh well, Count Dooku is just a political idealist. He's no murderer, right? So immediately, like you know, he, he, the, George Lucas is just layering the Jedi philosophy, all like in this situation too. You know, 
yeah on top of this um, investigation mystery which is pretty yeah. cool doubling down on what people didn't like about the phantom menace but like doesn't really you know george realized it was integral to the story but um that ivory tower that tall ivory tower that the jedi sit in is, is still shining bright and it's it's blinded them to a lot of shit so um yeah it, and how it just, perfect yeah sorry go on before i get to that point go on it just just furthers that plot line that was established sort of whimsically um with qui-gon and the jedi council and the phantom menace and it's that just that um the jedi are kind of turning a blind eye due to their you know yeah um, and quite quite literally a blind eye when you see where the scene takes place right right uh, exactly they're literally standing toe-to-toe with a guy that they're trying to find um the emperor and here's something that you know when you look at the prequels some people might get pissed about this i find it interesting right when you look at yoda as a character and you ask the question what does yoda do in the prequels right when you think about it for a second every time he's asked a question every time he's looked to for wisdom as you would right to yoda he just says i don't know man the dark side clouds everything like he his response to everything is i don't know i gotta meditate on this right. literally like 90 percent of his reaction is that and mm-hmm. and that tells you something when the smartest guy in the room doesn't have an answer to something like you know like he's i i just i don't know there's a lot of there's a lot of things going on there where he knows there's like there's like a trick being played and and he's ultra cautious about it at the same time while all the other jedi are like well we're the fucking jedi and we know exactly what to do in this situation yeah there's only so much one man can do and it's sort of um again indicative of what history's like and it's always you know some people are afraid to speak out on encroaching issues because they feel as though they'll be called crazy or they'll be called the maniacs where um where in reality what what their their what their concerns are true and it's sort of um what yoda's doing here or we're giving george too much credit and they kind of had to have yoda in these movies because marketing and um yeah you're right he doesn't really have a lot of agency in this in these movies until the third movie yeah but in extension of that it also shows you like the power of the emperor right yeah okay that he's like he's fooling yoda right in front of like because that's how i see it because it's it's a matter of framing and like how this the whole scene is shot to show the emperor is the big man in the room like literally standing over everybody else like higher than everybody else in the scene and he's just like you know you you obviously know going into it who this guy is but visually he's he is he's already winning like this isn't even a game at this point like he is getting them to act exactly how he wants them to act when it comes to oh like why don't you get the jedi to protect her how about master obi-wan kenobi he just got back oh mace windu replies he just got back from a mission so it's the whole scene is for the particular reason to set up Emperor Palpatine's control over everybody, especially the Jedi. Right. And yeah. And, and, and showing Yoda's like in like lack of awareness to that is, it's like crucial, right? Cause mm-hmm. the, the prequels don't give Yoda like a, an arc in particular. It just kind of by the third film, 
he loses and he goes into exile and he's like in you know that's that's about it but there's there's this arc in the clone war series where yoda learns his um kind of he he learns the ability to transcend the force and become a force ghost and in that he is learning about the truth of balance quote-unquote balance the light side the dark side and like his role in that and and ultimately that you know not it's it's not always about acting what you think is right it's not always about like doing that thing like for for the sake of it like it's there's sometimes a deeper purpose to things like that's what his journey is about like yoda in in the story of star wars has a very specific role which is to be the master to luke skywalker like that is his role in star wars so when you see stuff like this like in, in attack of the clones where he's contemplating the sith and like they're like are they coming back is this a threat that we should consider serious and all that kind of stuff like he's unsure of himself at this point like he's really being he's this is the point where yoda is tested as a jedi master and i know i'm getting deep into like a yoda story because like it, it would be cool to see a full yoda movie but i think once you start to see like his 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 arcs and clone wars and like you st start to see this like character of yoda like before the originals where he's even though he's the wisest guy there he's not he's still flawed he's still in becoming of a full-fledged kind of aware character you know um i don't know if that makes sense but yeah i don't know people always like give credit to yoda being like the, the wisest character of all time but i think the it's cool that the prequels kind of show you he he is flawed he has major flaws and and eventually does overcome them i guess kind of thing right i don't know uh yeah absolutely i think you nailed it there's nothing really for me to add there um i can't really I'd, I'd like to say like save like the overall yoda arc for the end of the trilogy before we you know get into sure, that yeah. off of off of the first yeah. scene off of the second movie so no absolutely i just get excited when i talk about that green guy man you know what it okay. is but uh yeah after that we kind of we move into um into getting reintroduced with anakin and obi-wan after like 10 years from the last movie so obi has jesus hair and anakin's played by a new actor now um and yeah i liked i liked how they set up anakin and obi-wan as a master and padawan in 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 and kind of seeing how that old Jedi philosophy that lives within Obi-Wan is, is not crossed over to Anakin, like, at all, you know? No, um, but I, I like the concept. Um, but again, that's with everything in the prequels. I think it just has awkward landing. Yeah, execution is always a different yeah. story. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting concept on how um, Anakin's angst and his... Um, his doubtfulness about the Jedi, um, which were implemented from Qui-Gon early on, um, are at odds with Obi-Wan, who was at odds with Qui-Gon in the first film. You yeah. know, that's good um, continuity, but um, it's like, it's just, it's just displayed so awkwardly and Anakin just comes off not as like some... Um, brash kid with a different ideology comes off as just like a asshole you know he comes off as an asshole and i yeah um i don't know the, he comes off to me more of like a whiny teenager 
more than an asshole. Like, right. how I would imagine, like, you know, the guy that just does it, he's not getting what he wants. He's not doing what he wants to do in this situation, which I guess he's not. Like, like you know, there everybody has their opinions about George Lucas's writing and directing on this movie, and it is what it is. It's It's the execution. It is what it is. But something that you know like i saw in it that was cool is um how you still see like the characters uh their own kind of like it's really laid out like their own why they believe what they're saying kind of thing um like why they are the way they are like it there's not a lot of that but there is a bit in some moments like why why is anakin against obi-wan it's not just the fact that Oh, like he loves, uh, he loves somebody. He can't love somebody or he's a teenager and he's whiny. Like, I think there is a scene where he tries to show his interpretation of, of like what the Jedi code is. And it's exactly that. It's his interpretation. It's not Obi-Wan's interpretation about like what a Jedi should be. It's ultimately he sees the Jedi order himself. And in, by extension of that, the galaxy in his own unique way. And, and like the scene I'm talking about is I think he is, he is, there's a couple of scenes, but it's all like in dialogue. He's talking to Padme and they're like talking about, oh, how do you think the galaxy should be run? And oh, how do you like, what, what is the Jedi life like? Like, oh, I heard you can't love. Like if you remember those scenes, like when they're just casually conversing and stuff, yeah. it's a, a lot of that kind of like builds a thread of that. Well, this is, you're thinking about it the whole time. This is the guy that becomes Darth Vader and it's cool that you get to see like the ideology that forms that it's not just it it doesn't just come out of nowhere like i i used to think like wow the shift from anakin skywalker in episode two to to darth vader like obviously you get the slaughter scene and all that stuff but it's a bit it's a bit crazy and then it's like no well they actually give you in the writing in the dialogue his his character his like characterization his ideology and you know anakin is if it were by him, he would do the things by the, like by his own accord, right? Like right or wrong. Like he has a moral sense, I guess being raised by the Jedi, but at the end of the day, he'll follow his own path or his own, his own mentality or thing. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the times though, I do find it's, um, it's pretty on the nose with like, you know, what Anakin just casually says, yeah, like, I don't know. I'd be a dictator. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. But yeah. what if? Uh, and it's just like, okay, like, it's a little on the nose there. Um, yeah, that that's a of, bit of a wink to the audience. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's like just kidding, but <laughs> not really. Like, you know. so like, I do, I do appreciate the time taken to develop how the character um, orients himself within the world. Um, and then how that, you know, later gets taken away from him and then, you know, um, episode three kind of more or less expands on what the consequences of that were. So, um, I appreciate it, but again, execution is a little shaky and the dialogue and the acting is a little cringeworthy, I would say, where, you know, Anakin's just like, why, what does that mean? And it's just like. This guy's supposed to be, yeah. He just he just randomly has a tantrum and like he's just randomly monologuing to this girl he hasn't 
scene in like a decade and like no the scene where where, when padme is packing her bags and he's just venting to her like like this is this is your a your job b you only met this girl one other time in your life as a boy right okay fine fair you love her okay cool but you're ranting to her like a fucking like teenage boy and like this is just like shit i laugh at but the second he goes it's worse it's unfair like you know like what it's just like i'm not looking at a jedi master i'm looking at like me when i was like six years old and and my dad didn't take me out to get pizza or something like that right and, there's there's know, more it's, it's subtle like, ways of doing what whatever george was trying for to do, sure so. for sure but it it's it, it almost like you know there's no defending those kind of things like on, in a filmmaking or storytelling point of view but it's like we've talked about this before the the life that that creates or like the the inherent like joke that that's made after is like it's worth it like it's it's so funny to go back to that and just like live with that kind of that inner joke that this guy was a whiny teenager and then became Darth Vader you know like that's canon for whether we like it or not that's canon so right <laughs> it's like a lesson just live with it you know yeah still makes me sad sometimes <laughs> I, I don't know I, every time I watch it now I just fucking like it makes me fucking laugh out of my mind it makes me laugh but like uh, not in a in a positive way I don't know if that makes sense <laughs> you laugh with a bit of shame you're like oh. I laugh with shame as in like oh this is what I've decided to like and I laugh <laughs> uh, as like a pity laugh to George Lucas so yeah yeah fair enough um but from there we transition into like probably one of my favorite parts of this whole movie which is the um obi-wan chase scene through coruscant um and i just like the whole vibe like this blade runner aesthetic that they that they set up in coruscant where it's um you know before you get into the bar scene and it's and they're looking for the bounty hunter it's it's a full-fledged chase sequence through the world or the city of Coruscant and I don't know everything about the scene is cool to me yeah it's great I I really like it. people yeah people criticize it for being drawn out I think it's perfect like in terms of length and all that no it was it's great and it it actually like it has more of what I wanted out of the Obi-Wan and Anakin relationship it's just that subtlety oh yeah just just jumps and he's like I hate it when he does that it's just that that's fun um and it is just a fun little scene yeah, that this—that's exactly it too. It it had that's it had all those character moments that you know that are great, but subtle. You know, like it, it's within the action. You know, um, another thing is this movie like leans a lot on film noir a little, um, or not film noir specifically, but I think neo noir and kind of like uh, it, it it it's cool how they're expanding star wars into that or expanding yeah like bringing the world the underground world of bounty hunters more into like the first person point of view kind of thing right like we even we get a scene from Django fett talking to his the assassin like i i believe that's the first time in like a mainline star wars movie we get to see from that point of view of like an underground bounty hunter dealing you know what i mean yeah and it's the is the it's it's more of what we've talked about with the Phantom Menace is that George has that nice little sprinkle of, of extra lore, extra world building. Extra world building, that, yeah, especially that, that. Also missed in, in the sequel trilogy, but um, 
Yeah, this is like the first instance of us seeing like the underworkings of what a bounty hunter is really about. Like we heard yeah. about bounty hunters um, in episode five and they were sort of a little bit expanded on episode six, but it's like, yeah, episode two, it's like, it's really the, the first time where you see like, you know, bounty hunters are like are a big deal in this world. And obviously as, as, as you would, so. And like the underground in, in general, like the whole, the criminal, we don't get too much into crime syndicates in this movie. Like that's more Clone Wars expanded on, but it like, even in this scene, like you're going to, like to the depths of Coruscant and then that has its own like visual language. Like it, it's, it's showing you like you're not in where the Jedi temple is anymore and shit like that. And you know, there's this whole, there's this whole vibe of, um, uh, almost like a Blade Runner kind of thing to it. Like, it's nothing like out of Blade Runner, but it's, it, I think there is some inspiration in in that detective chase kind of a thing, you know? Especially in in Obi-Wan's general story throughout this movie. Um, he, he, like, becomes a detective fully, which is really cool. One of my favorite parts of the movie. Yeah, I do enjoy that quite a bit, Obi-Wan's role in this movie. Um, it it kind of made me wish... Um, and it, and it made a lot of people wish because I remember this being like a, a common um, discussion around if the rewrites or if the prequels would be to be rewritten, they would make Obi-Wan actually the, the central figure of the trilogy mm-hmm. um, versus Anakin, even though this is a stylist, like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Traditionally, it's a Skywalker story, but like, um, I think that tradition was only set after the prequels also made it about the skywalkers yeah um so to where like the prequels it, it would have been really cool to have obi-wan as the main character and then um still have that symbolic torch pass to luke and then luke could have had the symbolic torch pass to someone who isn't a skywalker yeah it could have who, still worked actually who it, definitely isn't a skywalker yeah it would have worked really well actually if the prequels in general were told from um obi-wan's point of view because then when you watch um the originals again right and you watch new hope and you hear obi-wan talk about the old republic and anakin and it's like then the whole prequel would hit you in that way of like in that small sentence of him reciting it like that's how you watch the prequels like being recited from obi-wan's point of view like that it would just expand on that entire interaction more and like the relationship more almost like because as an audience we'd be being told we'd be being told the objective truth from Obi-Wan's point of view but in A New Hope when he tells Luke he tells him his like own version of it kind of thing so yeah, yeah I agree that, that'd that be a really interesting way of uh of seeing the saga uh, Is, what on. else what else about this movie did you like Ooh. before we get into some uh some uh criticisms what else about this movie did I like? That's a... Uh, um, again, with George's world-building sort of... Um, his magic touch, I don't know what it is, but like this is like the reason why I'm such a big Star Wars fan now is the introduction of the clones and then having sort of this sort of sci-fi militarization of the clones where you can see recognizable ranks and see... Um, different vehicle types and their functionality within the actual battlefield and 
You know, this is the full, f like, the first full-fledged, like, battle we see in a Star Wars movie. Um, and I feel like the introduction of that was really a net positive on the entire series to where, like, you know, when they release a new Stormtrooper toy who's a different rank, i.e., like, the Sith Trooper, people are freaking out because now the Stormtrooper's red. Um, it's all originating back to this, to where George set the precedent of, yeah, like, you know, here's the clones, and they have their whole own system to where entire board games, entire video games, entire novels, comic books can be centered around this military sci-fi institution that was set up in this movie. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's entirely its own world. It's got its own... Uh, TV like, show. It's got its own... Yeah, it's got its own TV show that expands on it like crazily where, you know, you see these people that are almost faceless to you because they're all clones, right? As the name implies. And then you eventually get a show that expands on the idea that they're still individuals and have their own storylines and, and, and pass. And yeah, I love the whole thing with introducing the clones and it like... it. It what a I can't imagine like being around in when the original Star Wars came out and just hearing the th what was a throwaway line at the time of of before the dark times and the Clone Wars and right like you hear that line and you're you're I can only imagine like at that time people were thinking like what what the fuck is he talking about the Clone Wars the the old Republic the dark times like you know to the, to the people that care about the lore and the world building and all that you're like what is, I want to know more about this and you wait 30 40 years later and you start to see this is the clone wars like yeah that that would be really hype that would be sick absolutely so um you know i'll always praise george's world building capabilities um i think they keep the prequel trilogy afloat from being an absolute utter complete disaster versus the three quarters disaster it is um but yeah it's um that's just my my biggest praise for the movie, and um, yeah. maybe the entire prequel trilogy as a whole. Yeah, here's where uh, where the movie starts to get, as I say, as as uh, carefully as I can, gets Shakespearean for me, which is the um, <laughs> the scene where they're eating dinner together and he uh, cuts the pear for her and and mm, force flies it over. Yeah, yeah, that's pure oh. Shakespeare, isn't it? It's Pure yeah, filmmaking, and I. No, I can't even joke about saying that. But no, it's, <laughs> it's not. No, no, it's not a joking matter. It's it's funny though, man. It's I always thought like when I watched that that pear cutting and flying up, I'm like, yeah, that's fucking sick. What a way! Why are eating a go. fucking pear for dinner, bro? It's Star Wars, man. You don't know what desserts like in Naboo and Thede. That's I don't know, man. It's it's so weird. The um. Oh, and it, what do we even start with this? Okay, let's get into. <laughs> I'm like simultaneously watching this as we're talking about it, so this is fucking crazy. This let's joke. get into just overall the Anakin Padme dynamic and yeah, um, how much that could have benefited from a different writer and director, if you know what I mean. Mm. To where I don't think George knows how to write romance. Yeah, and and arguably the best film of the the trilogy where romance plays a huge role. Empire, the biggest back. role in the 
Oh, sorry. Never mind. Yeah, I mean, go ahead. No, I was just I was just talking about like the high like when you look at the highlight in the saga of of character romance and all that, and compared to this, it's it's like night and day. It's like different franchises, right? Uh, different style completely. So yeah, it's a, that's very disappointing that you don't get you don't really get to see like a Han and Leia at all. You don't get to see like a really organic and witty relationship develop or anything like anything close to that even. No, you get to see this weird, fucked up, incestual, weird, weird pedophilic. Yeah, it's just, it's a bad situation for it's everyone involved. It's for really weird reasons, though, because it makes Padme look like a predator. Yes. That that she entered this 10-year-old's boy at a at a vulnerable point in his life. And, um, and now he turns out to be the biggest creep, right? Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's, every, right? <laughs> every night he's haunted. He's haunted that, as yeah. It's just yeah. It's it's so bad in terms of like it's not how actually actual people speak. And a lot of people try to defend it. It's like well, that's not just how the Star Wars people are. Maybe that's how they speak or how they communicate through love. Yeah, it's but like, when? yeah, Where but like talk we're still that? talking about a human story that needs to relate to us on a human level, right? If yeah, we're not being yeah. able, if we're, we can't recognize if what they're doing is human, which isn't human, whatever they're doing, it's fucking, you know. I don't know if that's how you flirt. It's definitely not how I flirt. But no, no, um, I may not be the best, but that's not that bad. To me, like it's to unrelatable, think. and if it's unrelatable, then we can't like something if it's unrelatable. It's just yeah. in our instinct. So it's like, despite it not feeling like human things, and yeah, guess what? Star Wars, it's not real life. It's like no, but Star Wars isn't. You know, it's a projection of what we are onto the big screen in a certain setting it's just stop trying to take things fucking literally and just look at it from how it is structurally the way that dale yeah it's just i don't know it's no you you said it that's it's it's like this is trying to be like almost like a book what a book would try to produce it's 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 like it doesn't work like trying to be too literal or too literary you know in in a movie it's it doesn't you can't attach what you're seeing being portrayed in a realistic kind of way to that it it sounds fake it looks fake and yeah um what was i just about to say i lost my train of thought so you keep going oh fuck um yeah it's just a shame that something as integral to the entire series as this relationship is was oh yeah 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 was faltered the way yeah okay it's it was just faltered to a T to, to where it's like, you know, yeah, it kind of gets rectified in episode three, but like, you'll never undo no. the scar that the this damage put on the done. series. Yeah. Literally the scar that was left behind, um, to Anakin. And yeah, like that's, you're right, bro. Like this is the most, this is like the, one of the biggest turn of Anakin Skywalker's thing, like was essentially what turns him is his like love for his, his wife. And, right like it's love at the end of the day and and we never get to see that properly organically develop in a, in a natural kind of way um i used to think as a kid when i used to watch this like really young and i remember saying this to myself like super naive i'm like is this what love is like yeah. this is how people in love talk to each other like i oh man no wonder yeah, I maybe sh- that's maybe that's I why sh- i'm single to this yeah. day i don't know <laughs> you know um but yeah no this was like a mind fuck that uh, it 
it's again i'll stick to what, what what i said shakespearean you know people hate shakespeare too i don't like shakespeare i like this you don't like shakespeare in comparison <laughs> oh man i can't believe you don't like shakespeare i don't know i can, not on a casual not on a casual sunday i'd choose this over shakespeare on a casual well yeah sunday. on a casual sunday but like when you look into like the history of <laughs> like of the, everything of all the stories ever yeah i'll look yeah. at shakespeare over attack of the clones sure you got me there <laughs> all, all of like every single archetype in western literature yeah developed through shakespeare. anyways um let's move along what's next here? yeah we're gonna get to camino soon uh or? yeah we well let's get to camino now um camino where the clones are born i don't know i think we t- we talked a bit about the clones but yeah camino I like the whole aesthetic behind it. It's like it's it's the most different thing in Star Wars visually. It's kind of, it's kind of got a it's got a Cloud City vibe. It's got a Cloud me. City vibe, but it's like it's like you're supposed to think this is the most like advanced race in Star Wars. I think. Really, is that the vibe you get from them? That's what I get. Yeah, that's because they don't look like any other aliens you see. They don't look anything. The whole like the technology they use, like the world they live on, even from the setup of it, where it's like, oh. uh when uh, Obi-Wan's talking to the Jedi librarian and she's like super confidently and cockily like, oh yeah, they don't exist on our star map, on our star map. So they don't exist. So like, it's, it's like, oh, well, even the Jedi don't know about these guys or aren't aware of them, you know? So I was, I thought that was because Count Dooku went in and deleted it from the archives. It would have been, it would have been that too, but like in a sense of general knowledge, like even the Jedi don't know haven't heard of Camino or like you know that there's no uh there's no uh, like formal understanding of Camino in that sense there's no okay. like you know what I mean so yeah it's I, I'm not saying I'm right I'm not saying we're supposed to think that but I get that impression of these guys are like powerful or just strong or like wise I mean which is never expanded on we never get any anything further to do with Camino other than setting up the clones really yeah, they just seem, they definitely seem like super mysterious to me. And that's super pretty much, that's that's, yeah. that's all I get from them is, um, sorry about the dog in the background, everybody. She's trying to go to bed. Um, what was I saying about them? I don't know. It, it's hard to take away anything from them. They kind of just perform the role within the movie and um, they're sort of meant to make you feel uneasy as you enter this new situation with Obi-Wan. But, um, yeah, um, not too much to say for them specifically, but, um, Camino as a planet, I find very cool. And their role within, you know, again, like world building, man, the role within the, in their, within the, um, the universe as like, they're, they have the reputation as cloners where people will go to them for cloning, whatever cloning is used for in this case by the Republic to make an army. Um, mm-hmm. it's just great. Um, and the aesthetic is great and the fight scene is great. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's, I want to jump to, um, Tatooine, but when, uh, Anakin and Padme go back to Tatooine, okay. uh, to find Anakin's mother. And this is like one of my favorite moments of the movie when, when they come here from a visual standpoint and a story standpoint, because, well, we all know why, because like Anakin, obviously like this is his first big turn away from the Jedi Order and like his big character kind of decisions are made here and stuff like that so 
he he goes against Obi-Wan when Obi-Wan says like you know you whatever you do make sure you check with the Jedi order first like whatever you do has to be under what the Jedi say and don't do anything else than that and he says fuck it I'm gonna go see my mom because I'm having bad dreams about her and need to make sure she's okay and here like I, I'm gonna pick apart the Jedi every time I see it but like like in all this time they never set out to free the chosen one's mother or like put him at ease about these nightmares or like like they 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 invited a ticking time bomb into the cat into the Jedi order knowing he's a ticking time bomb and we're like cool run with it like that shit just doesn't make sense to me at all but anyways like I'll I'll buy that into the point of the Jedi just being dumbasses you know and yeah he comes here and he he starts um he starts his path down to the dark side essentially I get that's I what guess, it is I guess from what the Jedi are saying it's like they they forgo attachments and you know they literally don't care about his mother because all right, his mother yeah. is to them is just an attachment that he's an attachment rid of that to, he has to let go yeah right yeah. so um for them to sort of provide any sort of an investment into his mother would be counterintuitive, counterintuitive. Of, of what their yeah. goal is yeah <laughs> yeah for sure they're like yeah you just deal with it and you just deal with it your your mom's a slave it's okay yeah basically which is again like in other mediums especially um knights of the old republic um they really criticize the detachment part of the jedi order um Mm -hmm. which is which is in full force in that series as well so um yeah we do get a bit of that criticism in this movie like not openly criticism but that discussion is held a couple times yes it is uh again clumsily but it's clumsily yeah and yeah i just wish that was expanded a little bit like we get it and we're you know yeah anyways um but yeah just seeing um anakin kind of getting back to uh like what what is what becomes luke's childhood home right and and going through the garage and um yeah i found all that awesome i just I, i like the visual of that um and like the how like they they're just like silhouetted like in all those wide shots of them in the desert and <clears throat> like how they're just silhouetted in these like like you in in those scenes like you just get the the whole like everything of Star Wars that is uh, to come that is like yet to come the whole Star mm-hmm. Wars story is like almost laid out to you when they're in Tatooine or just even specifically when they're at the the Skywalker farmstead I guess that's what it's called when yeah. they see Lars right um yeah, like I don't know if you got the same vibe, but like just I'm I'm in particular talking about like the moments when he's in the garage and like standing outside of the house, kind of um, just silhouetted in in that wide shot. Like it, you know, you kind of get what I'm saying. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, it definitely it its purpose is definitely to harken back to yeah Luke in a way um, or harken. You get forward, the twin. I guess. Yeah, you get the twin sons in in the yeah. shot of him crossing with the speeder. I love that. I love the yeah. music in it. Um, that will always hold a special place in my heart because um, that was actually my first Lego set from Star Wars that I got for Christmas. Cool, Anakin's sp- yeah. speeder bike with the uh, Tuscan Raiders. So, oh, I was gonna say, yeah, it had the the yeah, okay. So, I will I will always remember that, um, and I always remember my uncle being like, you know, build that, but like take care of it because it might be worth something. And I didn't do that. I did what kids do, and I like took it apart and 
you know, like used it, it used it after. for my giant <laughs> Lego bucket. And yeah. meanwhile, my uncle, you know, the reason why he told me that is because he still has like his original um, uh, Death Star throne room scene set oh, with Luke, with Luke Vader and Darth Sidious. Um, like been an OG one from like yeah. when it came out. That's when, when it came out. So he's always been like that, but like not made now. Yeah. Anyways, short little story. Um, let's. Uh, yeah, I I love the the speeder bike aesthetic. That that whole um, riders on the storm, you know, blazing saddles sort of um, mm-hmm. sequence, but with that Star Wars vibe, with that awesome theme. Um, yeah, it's one of my favorite sequences of Star Wars. Um, like just from the moment where he crosses the twin suns and he is, he's he's uh, talking to the the Jawas, trying to find you know all of that. Yeah, and and right up until the point when he sees his mom and he. You know, in the moment when he's about to, like, make his first strike, right, after his mom dies, whose voice do you think he's hearing? Because to me, it sounds like Qui-Gon. What do you mean by that, sorry? Who's, like, right before he strikes down the um, the sand people, um, like, after his mom dies, mm-hmm. there's, like, before, like, it irises out of that scene, it, you hear a voice, which you, I think you're supposed to think it's, like, a force ghost or something it might be from the future it might be from the past like it's not clear exactly it's like it's somebody saying no all oh, right, right, no. right i always yeah. kind of interpreted that as like his own internal rage sort of you know like because i guess like that sometimes you know when i played hockey it's fucking like you know somebody would do some dumb shit and i'd talk to myself in my head and get myself worked up so it kind of just felt like sound design being put into use to sort of um uh, like when uh darth vader screams no at revenge of the sith that one uh no not that one no i know but Uh, yeah no it's not i don't know it but it's like a different voice though it's not even it's not hating christian saying no it's like it's not like i'm not saying it's like a i know it's a different voice but it's like i don't know i always just felt like that was just sort of a, a sound designed way of like showing the rage like his own internalized rage, voice, yeah. Kind of. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I saw it in two different ways, actually. Like I've I've always seen it in either this is the Jedi of in Revenge of the Sith when he's slaughtering the Jedi. It's hearkening to that moment, or it's Qui Gon Jinn from the Force, who's like, "No, this is the first time, but this is not the last time you kill people." Um, yeah, so I, I think it's it kind of harkens to uh, like the future atrocities that Anakin's going to commit that this path will lead him to. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. Neither do I. I'm sure there's an entire comic book series on it. Yeah. Um, after this, though, we get one of the coolest Star Warsy things of all time, which is seismic charges. Oh man. Oh, uh, yeah. God. There's something about the sound design behind seismic charges that just gets my blood boiling. It's just not in a bad way, in a good way. You know, it makes your toes yeah. curl. Yeah, it's like when uh, she said, put, set the mood on. You know, set the mood. Let's just, That's yeah, let's just say Padme's the second sexiest thing in this movie behind there seismic charges. There you go. Uh, yeah, there's nothing more to say. <laughs> like, no. It's the greatest sound of all time. It is, yeah, it's, oh man, it's too good. It's just, 
despite it and, not making sense because sound doesn't travel in space it's still- yeah <laughs> <laughs> it makes no sense and but still like everything about it like the, even the way it looks and like how it fucking like gets at obi-wan and just oh, yeah slices it, the way through asteroids and meteors like butter just fucking i can only imagine what that's what that's like in the theaters Oh yeah, I know. Like this is if they ever played episode two in theaters again, I would just buy a ticket to hear that sound in, obviously. in full. Yeah, obviously, yeah. But I mean, that alone would do the trick. Um, but I, I wonder what, like striking on that sound for the first time is like. Like when you're in that room recording like sounds and shit or whatever. Like however they did it. How do you know when natural you're natural or unnatural? Like. You know, you're just probably like 30 hours deep of recording like weird ass noises for like from the weirdest methods of I don't even know what. And, and then suddenly you come across across this weird fucking like like fucking supersonic backwards up, upside down quantum leaping time traveling fucking sound. And, and you're just like, yep, let's go home. And that's it for the day. Yeah, no, I don't I have no idea how they would. What what's a better sound, the lightsaber or the seismic charge? In terms of, well, in your own personal, in your own like, what what gets you up in the morning? Well, let's just say I don't search on YouTube every month for lightsaber ignition sound. Okay. So, <laughs> I'll I'll concede that it's far more iconic and probably more impactful. But let's be honest here: like the the more unique, cool sound is definitely seismic charges. Yeah, there's one. There's one that when it happens, it uh, it it doesn't fail to amaze every time. It doesn't just. It always will bring up that like, that geeky fucking like childhood, squirmish smile that just pops up like teehee. Like it's just mm-hmm. one of those things that, will forever be awesome. Yes, always gets me. Always. I, there needs to be more stuff like that. Like, well, why why haven't we heard more seismic charges in the Star Wars universe? Like, there was only one seismic charge ever developed. Like, seismic charge is a Star Wars story. Yeah, please, like, take us to the the manufacturers, uh, ground level departments of of them literally just coming up with what sound they should use for that weapon because that would be an interesting story. Anyways, um, going on from there. This is like now, I think when the movie starts to feel slow for me, um, when they have to go rescue Obi Wan, yeah, from Geonosis, like just particularly that part of when they're like in the factory trying to um, like evade all the droid machines and stuff like that. Like I like the R two and C three PO bit in it. Like I did that, that's comical and just like I like seeing R two do that type of shit and just being smarter than everybody else. Um, so yeah, but. I don't know. What did you? How did you feel about this one? The the rescue mission for Obi Wan is definitely where it drags. Um, it it does have an important role in in terms of the introduction of Count Dooku, which mm. from a yep. meta perspective is just the weirdest thing to happen to this movie. It's just all of a sudden there's another Sith Lord, which was, I don't know. Thinking about it. Now it's super jarring compared to when I was a kid, and I kind of just accepted uh, bad guy red lightsaber. Um, uh, yeah, that that's true. It's um, it's super jarring just to have this random guy show up who was, I don't know. It definitely felt like it wasn't the original plan, if you know what I mean. And yeah. we can we can get into 
Darth Jar Jar conspiracy theories, but um, it definitely didn't feel like Count Dooku was was in the original plans for what was, you know, yeah. The original in a weird way, though, and and I agree with you, it is jarring. Like today, like as, as when we were younger, we probably yeah we were thinking the same thing. Like oh, that's the villain of this one. Um, the other one died. He got cut in half, and it, it's jarring. But at the same time, it's like. Cause I think, cause like they're they're filling up this ten year gap. So like the information that we are, the little information that we are given about Dooku, that he's a former Jedi, he's a political idealist. That's pretty much it. Um, it's interesting. Like I wish we got a little more of that set. Like just those kind of threads. I think you know, just like if there was more loose, like if there was more threads to just like who Count Dooku was, like it would maybe feel less jarring, but like, yeah, you're right. Like he's just there, like suddenly um, the, the leader of the separatists. So yeah, it's, it's cool though. He's, he's a dope villain. Like he's a really dope star Wars villain. I think he's carried a lot by just the fact he's played by Christopher Lee. Yeah. And just his whole, the way he carries himself and like, he's just the, he's like, I was going to say the Dracula of star Wars and Christopher Lee plays, played Dracula. So like that would be just, yeah fucking stupid but no yeah he's he's just the fucking he's the man of, of star wars he one. does have a lot of personality despite what he is or the limited time he has especially with his um you know um the inclusion of like his sort of unique dueling style it kind of sparked a whole mm-hmm. new community within the star wars community about like dueling styles and style switching exactly yeah it's it's just a, again like I don't know if it was George's idea to do that or if it was um, the fight coordinators, but somebody somebody did something there that was pretty special. Yeah, I, I'd like to believe that, yeah, these are just things that George has going on in his head, like the subtleties of what style of fighting a, a Jedi or a Sith would be using. And, you know, if they prefer the Force over the lightsaber, like there's there's so much subtlety given through Count Dooku's character that it's like played so, pl- played so effortlessly and so, so like with class from Christopher Lee that, you know, he's, though there's not much for him to do or say, there's so much that we're given, like, from his performance of, of how he duels and how he how he challenges Master Yoda and how he, like, demonstrates his abilities of the Force. Like, up until that point, like, I think that's, like, the strongest of the Force we have seen when he is, um... Before he starts, like, electrocuting Yoda and he, he, he like starts crumbling the structure that's above Anakin and Obi-Wan. Like, he starts just, like, you know, demolishing that. And he just does that effortlessly, and Yoda has to, like, stop everything he's doing and use all of his senses and power and concentration to stop that from happening. So, it's, like, it's not told to you, but you see through your actions that this is just, like, the most kind of maybe... He's a prop. ...learned, like, force user, or, like, the most, like... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Technical skill, technically skilled. Yes. Maybe? Yeah. Yeah. He's um, he he's on a different level compared to what our made heroes are used to. Completely different level. Yeah, yeah. Like in every way, and he knows it. He's like, your swords, please. Like, holy fuck. Yeah. Even they're thinking that they're like, are what? Yeah. Like, Believe it or yeah. not, this is Christopher Lee's second most iconic role behind Saruman in Lord of the Rings. So yeah, hop on it. <laughs> Yeah, I still gotta get on that one. Um, but yeah, uh, what else? What else you gotta say about 
Oh yeah, Chris uh Dooku versus Yoda. What what do you got on that? Ridiculous. I'm sorry. Like I loved it as a kid, but like realizing it like how it looks now as an adult, it's like you know, revolutionary in terms of of um special effects. Um Oh, I thought you were going to say uh alien combat. No. Style. No. Revolutionary in terms of special effects, but having Yoda do what he does is just so weird to see still <laughs> right yeah, it's, you know, a, it's another thing I think back to it's like when you're watching uh, Return of the Jedi or Empire Strikes Back and you, you, you see the great Master Yoda for the first time and mm-hmm. you're trying to think back to what this Master Yoda would have been like as, as in the Jedi Prime days and then you see this guy doing 360 like triple backflips and like like fucking yeah <laughs> again like I, when we were kids it's something that it not it didn't go over our heads but it was like oh this is cool like you know like i don't i always thought that was cool as a kid but then it's like the more you grow up you start looking at like this is pretty ridiculous yeah like, this is happening right now do you think when george watched it for the first time he's like i may have gone too far in a few places and I, yeah i feel I like he went too far there once. I think he that was a commonly said thing. Yeah, you think he might have been rethinking his whole strategy at that point like did like everything he's like did I make Yoda too small? Did I overdo it with the flips? Like Yeah. Yeah. It it felt I feel like it, yeah. You know what? You know who that should have been? That should have been Mace Windu. Yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing just now. It should have been Mace Windu. Yeah. Cuz that would establish like Mace Windu but, like um you know, everyone's always said that Mace Windu is super powerful, and like, well, even Anakin says it in this movie that Obi Wan is as wise as Master Yoda, as powerful as Mace Windu, yet literally we never see that from Mace Windu no. in any of the movies. So yeah, if, that would be cool to see. But again, st- from a story point of view, this is Yoda facing off his old Padawan, right? So yeah, get a bit of that. In, yeah, in a battle of uh, Padawans and masters and all that. Or it could have been that Count Dooku was Mace Windu's master as well or whatever. I don't know. Something yeah. along those lines. I don't know. But, yeah, I, I still think it could have been Mace Windu, and then we could have had a little more investment for later down along the series as well. So Yeah. Yeah, for it would have sure. been cool to see, like, Mace getting kind of, like, holding up his own and, and then maybe getting it handed to him mm-hmm. and just being like, oh, this is actually how powerful Count Dooku is. Like, um. And yeah, it would have been like, I never, like, not that I never saw Yoda, but like now with like the hindsight or whatever, like I don't see Yoda as a technical dueler in, with a lightsaber, like in that same way as Count Dooku is, you know? Um, like, because one, it's always like, okay, the Jedi use their lightsaber in, for defense and it's always about defense with them and stuff like that. And like... I, I always think, found it more interesting like what Yoda should have always been like just the most powerful force user like he could he could just do everything with the force and like not to make the force seem like this OP you know power but to really just like show the strengths of like Yoda's whole thing from Empire was like this small guy who could lift the X-Wing up right and then that becomes the small guy who can do 300 flips and like look like yeah. a fucking 
acrobat fighting it like, kind of missed you know, the original whatever. the original intent or approach behind yoda where it's like yeah he's small in stature but he is strong within the force because that's what exactly matters, right exactly so, and and yeah that that's kind of thrown out of the window there yeah i don't know so yeah it, it's just i don't know it, it gave us iconic yoda noises though which is one yeah thing. for sure it gave us something iconic so can't hate it for that the flips are iconic and the noise is also iconic i don't know i can't do it the 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 lego star wars one is the best one are you not familiar no the lego star wars i'm Goog- yoda death sound with the game oh i thought you're talking about i thought about the game for a second no 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 anyways that's a whole different it's one of the, it's I hate talking about memes, but it's yeah, it's one of the most popular memes this year for sure. Okay, I'll, I'll search that up after this. I started okay. googling it right now, but I'm like, I'm not gonna get into a meme search frenzy right now. No, I'll, I'll send you one. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Um, from like, I don't know. From there's not much more we go from there. Uh, essentially, the Clone Wars start after that. Officially. Yeah, Clone Wars begun. They have. Anyway. Uh, but you know that ending shot of I guess it's not the official ending shot, but in my mind it's the ending where you got you know the Jedi, you got Mace Windu and Yoda and Obi Wan. They're standing in front of the giant clone army <clears throat> that's in front of them, right? And uh, essentially, I don't remember the line like line for line, but it's like they realize that or Yoda at least realizes like though the war has just begun like it's like Yoda slowly realizing like there's something more fucked up and bigger going on here yeah like what a fucked up week yeah what a fucked up week right? and then you got Palpin just standing behind him like haha yeah it's like Yoda realizes there's like a large power shift about to happen within the next few years and that bad feeling he had at the beginning is sort of being realized is that like yeah whatever is whatever's happening then is going to be you know somebody's going to start taking advantage of some things here yeah exactly uh that's another iconic shot just like the preparation to go to war and like just kick off the clone wars and like you just want to throw on the clone wars right after that and honestly just see where where it all where it all goes from there Mm -hmm. but um yeah and then after that we get the marriage the wedding scene which you know like which is weird to put in just like ham-fisted at the end of the movie, but I guess there's really no other way to do it. But, yeah. Um, it's like, unironically, Padme and Anakin's theme is like one of my favorites out of the prequels. For sure. For sure. It's a great, it's a great theme. Um, I'm, we actually, we skipped over the whole Geonosis fight too. Oh, right. Um, real quick on that. that that's um, the whole like the chariot entering what well, like when they enter the uh, Colosseum and the chariots like everything from that point on is fucking great like I don't know how people can criticize that action the battle scene where it's like oh there's too much going on on screen it's like bro like what do you want to see like there's look how many lightsabers there are it's like it's not confusing it's just it's cool like maybe it could have been visually represented a little better but like what we're seeing on screen is pretty fucking awesome it's like a hundred Jedi going all out battle with droids in, in, a, in a little coliseum like it's pretty fucking cool I don't know it yeah it's a bit it's a bit of um it's a bit of like fan service for sure it is like here you you know but 
I'll, I'll take it. Like, I'll take it. Um, oh, geez. What do I want to say about this? Um, and even the, like the, uh, like the, the creature designs. The, the creature designs yeah, are my creatures. favorite thing. Yeah. The, the, um, uh, again, <laughs> it's just more world building stuff. It's like, you know, um, whatever those praying mantis thingies are that attack that are after Obi-Wan and then you know years later me playing Star Wars Battlefront 2 and playing through the the campaign and getting on to Felucia and having to fight those things it's like you know it's one of the yeah, it, no, it's one of those that, Star Wars only things that makes sense to me you know what I mean for sure you're, you're connecting things in your own head at that point you're like ah that's where they got these creatures from yeah, exactly so it's like again world building fantastic um, yeah gladiator fight pretty cool yeah the whole beginning of that when they're like they're um they're all 1v1ing their animals and it's like it's like silent film at that point you Mm -hmm. know you just get the score the the dramatic coliseum gladiator music and yeah i love that um this scene does get ruined for me when i actually saw how they shot this oh fuck this isn't talked about enough the amount of practical the the usage of practical effects in the prequels is not Respect, okay like, yeah acknowledged enough i did want to mention that yeah this set is practical but i'm talking about like the big jedi fight have you seen the behind the scenes of that oh i yes how they filmed it like yeah that it's specifically, so yeah that's so insane. silly so silly it's insane though they they did so much work to film that yeah you just see just like hundreds of people just waving lightsabers around at nothing and it's just at so nothing. funny yeah but it's even like in those like at, like those extremely large shots right when or wide shots when it's um like you see like maybe 50 40 jedi in the center of the coliseum all doing that right and they couldn't film that it, like to scale legitimately so it's like exactly what you said just all the jedi swinging at nothing so they had to individually film each jedi doing that so like just swinging it absolute thin air and then they compose like that scene together like from, from a technical standpoint it's impressive like incredibly impressive but exactly what Cheney just pointed out it it just looks fucking retarded like because yeah. because you can easily in your own mind just like take the droids out and it, it looks like they're just swinging at air and it's like they're matching the bolts the laser bolts to hit at this point and it's it's a lot of that let's just say the cg um, artist did a lot more than the actors in that scene yeah for sure it's that's a testament to the, the oh my god yeah, I can't even imagine having like getting that scene handed to you, and being All like, right, you "Make sure make this destroyed Leia." It's good, ridiculous. But like everything about it, just because it, it's it's amazingly impressive because they had to, they turned this practical set into, into something that could look like people were standing in it, right? So it's like, yeah, they filmed that on a green screen stage, but enough of it had to be blended with practicals and like then they use the mini scale model like it there is a behind the scenes documentary on that particular scene that we're talking about and it's worth a watch alone just to see how like in the early 2000s before you had like the technology that we have today what it took to make a scene like that and and people don't even consider making movies like that anymore like george really paved the way for like how how films are made today because it's like it's it's now looked at as a thing of of like pride or or quality 
when a filmmaker takes the time out in a, in a CGI heavy movie or a graphics heavy movie to like create those practicals or create those tangible things around. Right. So it's, it's people look at it like this is just green screen mess and lightsabers waving in the air, which of course it is, but the filmmaking behind it and the innovation behind it is should not be underrated or undernoted. No, of course not. But, um, yeah, that's about all I have on this movie. It's kind of like, again, it's my sixth worst stars movie and my least one. What does that mean? You have, sure. you have three, you have three more that you hate. Yes. More? Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, for me, I've been going back and forth if this is my least favorite prequel or a Phantom Menaces, and I don't know anymore, honestly. Like, for this series, uh, like, going back to rewatch The Phantom Menace and this movie, I I watched it in, in such a way where I had no complaints about it. I guess because I've just watched it so many times and I wasn't looking at it too objectively, which might just be, you know, fault to my own, but it's it's I just have so much fun with these movies that there's, like, the negatives, like, have become a like, obviously the the people who look at the memes and stuff, it's become like a joke at this point. So like these, these movies are like just timeless, great movies, like fucking awesome. It's, and it's awesome that we can talk about it in on, on so many levels of like, okay, here's examples of great filmmaking, great storytelling, but here's also examples of really bad execution in certain moments, you know? Like yeah. there's a lot you can learn from this movie. In, yeah. There's in a more lot you can learn movies. from this movie than you can a lot of movies. Uh, yeah, or this the series sure. of movies then you can a lot of movies for sure in yep. terms of I don't know it, it's definitely taught me the basics understandings of what storytelling is about and then mm-hmm. you know where the where it can go wrong and where you can improve on it so with that it does have value to me and um, you know I'm willing to watch it every every couple of years or so so yeah definitely. yeah well this is the second time I watched it I think maybe the the reason I'm kind of really lighthearted about it or, or just fond of this movie is like I I had a couple of drinks while watching this movie. So, you know, the, the last time I did that, we were, me, you and Sasha were watching this back at school. Um, we're going at the prequels, you know, and just fucking tearing them apart for a while. So I think I got that out of my system. And now I was just, now I was just like, yeah, these are, embrace them. These movie. are what, yeah, these were what got me into Star Wars as a kid. You know, these were by some miracle. Well, I hate to say it again, but it sounds bad, but I think it's true. It's that like Star Wars is the is the twilight for the dirty guys. So mm-hmm. you know what I mean? The prequels, yeah. The, these the prequel Star Wars, yeah. The prequel Star Wars, yeah. For okay. sure. All right. Well, hope you enjoyed our talk on the second Star Wars. Make sure you, if you haven't already, follow us on Instagram at Mythic Morons. We constantly update there on what movies we're watching, what what you can watch and, and keep up with on what we're talking about. And choose DM. Give us some feedback. Um, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, five-star rating goes, goes a big, big way. Um, and a review if you can. And then or just write a review a, or rate it on Spotify or Google Podcasts as well. So thanks for listening in. Uh, this is Cheney signing off. Yep, and uh, we'll be back with, um, I guess our next episode might be Tenet. 
if you watch it this week, change. Oh, true. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. I gotta pre-order my tickets. Yeah, pre-order that bitch now because they're selling out fast. You know, I was. I'm trying to fucking. I'm not trying to buy it in any average theater too. I'm trying to give this man Chris Nolan his respect. I'm trying to watch this in 70 millimeter or IMAX or 70 millimeter IMAX, whatever comes to my direction first. Um, but everything is sold out. It's ridiculous. Okay. At least, fuck. at least where I live in Toronto. Uh, it might I, be a little I even better. considered. Yeah, it might be better for you. I I looked in Waterloo and it's playing in Waterloo at uh, Princess, and I was like considering going up to Princess just to watch it for the day, but I can't unfortunately. You know that might need to be my solution if nothing works out. All right. I, yeah. Anyways, I, so yeah, next yeah. episode we will hopefully be talking about our most anticipated movie this summer, I guess, because we haven't watched any new movies this summer. So yeah, stay tuned for our tenant conversation. Thank you so much for listening to our our convos and our discussions and our rambles and our rants and we hope you guys continue to listen and engage and yeah this is the mythic moron signing off see ya peace